0: What is Christianity about? Why be a Christian? Why bother being a Christian? Perhaps you've had these questions put to you in some form or another, maybe in a philosophical conversation around a table, maybe not directly asked of you, but just thrown out there for the good of conversation. I know I've had them. that question asked of me in various forms. What makes you Christianity unique? what's the deal with Christianity, things like that. I remember one particular time when I was newly ordained and teaching confirmation class, and one of the young people there said to me, how do you know that Jesus is the only way? And I said to her, I don't. But what I can tell you is that Jesus changed my life. And that's why I'm teaching Confirmation class, is because Jesus changed my life. The idea of a personal God, a God that can relate to us as individuals, a God who is living and active in the lives of creation, in the life of creation, is a unique thing. And Christianity claims that truth as we understand in the person of Jesus and in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not the only religion that claims a living God or recognizes a living God, one that is to be in relationship with. All Abrahamic faiths claim this. That's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All three say God is alive and active in the lives of, of his creation. But Christianity is unique in the belief that Jesus is of the Godhead, and that it was Jesus that came among us to show us what it means to be in relationship with the living God, demonstrated for us what that means, and told us to follow him. Throughout the season of Lent, we heard Jesus' invitation to follow, and now as post-resurrection people, both in real time and in the stories that we're reading from Scripture, we're looking back over Jesus' teaching and saying, Wait, do you think he might have meant something different than we initially thought? John chapter 10 takes place in Jesus' life. It's Jesus who talks about being the good shepherd. This idea of Jesus taking care of those that are in need and having such an intimate relationship that he recognizes them and that The sheep recognize his voice. Now think about that in your own life. The voices that you recognize. A voice that you'll hear and you'll say, oh, that's so-and-so. You pick up the phone and you hear the voice and you know who it is. That means you know that person well. Jesus is saying that he knows his creation so well that the creation itself recognizes his voice. Think of the intimacy in just that example. John chapter 10, as you might know or imagine, follows John chapter 9. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, the numbers that are given in Scripture to help root us in the, helping us all know we're reading the same thing, those were not a part of the original script. Manuscript. They weren't, there weren't numbers in there. That came about later when translation started to happen and they had to organize it in some way. So John chapter 9 is a very powerful story, even in my own life, when a man who it tells of a man who was born blind, and people are trying to understand his predicament. And they say to Jesus, who claims to be a wise teacher, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is one of those questions that he's supposed to untangle for them and perhaps give some sort of right answer. But Jesus gives an answer they do not expect and says, neither, neither the man nor his parents sinned. That's not what this man's blindness is about. This man's blindness is so that God's glory can be made known. That story is a lengthy one. John chapter 9 is a very lengthy chapter, 40-some verses, I think it is. And at the conclusion, at the end of that story, Jesus says to the man who he has healed, who he has made to see, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man says to Jesus, who is he? Because I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, I am he. And the man says, I believe. Now think about the intimacy of that story. This man's life was changed because of Jesus. And he says to Jesus, you tell me who to believe, and I'll believe that person. Because of what you have done in my life, whatever you say, I'll do. If you told me that person over there is the Son of God, I'll go follow him. You tell me I'm going to follow because of what you have done in my life. I know, I know the truth. That is the intimacy of God, and it is available to us in Jesus, and we understand that as Christian people. This idea, though, of an intimate God who loves all creation is not unique to, to Christianity because we hear it in the Hebrew scriptures as well in the 23rd Psalm. This psalm is beloved, it is pervasive, and the reason it is is because it's so beloved. We hear it often at funerals, and perhaps people imagine that this picture of this beautiful pastoral scene with running water and green grass and a table laden with everything that's needed and being anointed with oil and the peace that passes understanding. Perhaps sometimes people imagine that is what eternity looks like. But this psalm is written for the living. This psalm is written for those that are on earth. And the idea of shepherd is even a phrase that had been used for kings. A king being a shepherd in charge of caring for his kingdom. And so when the psalmist is writing it, the psalmist is saying the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord who is above all kings. It's the Lord that provides for my every need, that leads me to food and drink restores my soul another way that could that could be interpreted is gives me life the lord is the one who gives me life the lord is the one that sets a table for me even amongst my enemies and this is a different perspective than what you would expect from a king a king would eradicate the enemies and thus you can sit down to feast but the psalmist says no even in the midst of them i don't need to be afraid because the Lord sets a table for me and gives me all that I need. The Lord anoints my head with oil, cares for me in such a way that my cup overflows. Surely mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, that they'll actually pursue me. The psalmist is recounting that God pursues God's creation. Often that verb is thought of in relationship to an enemy, but the psalmist is turning it and saying, it's God who pursues me, with God's love and mercy, so that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, the kingdom of the Lord, forever. Forever. Not something that starts later, but now. This idea of the provision that God has and the intimacy that God has with God's creation is not unique to Christianity, but Jesus as one who can show us the way is. When I think about that question that that confirmand had for me, how do you know that Christianity or Jesus is the only way? And I told her, I don't. That highlights, I believe, a way of knowing Often we think of knowing as being able to refute all other things, but we don't always have to refute all other things in order to know something to be true. We do have to address it, and so the way in which I address it is that some things are beyond my understanding, but that doesn't mean I don't know things. Indeed, religions aren't different from one another. And as I mentioned about the living God in the Abrahamic faiths, other religions don't have that kind of emphasis of a living God. I was talking with a friend of mine just this week who has gained a new friendship with a woman who's an octogenarian and a Hindu. She's from India. And my friend is about my age. And her new friend said to her, I want to go to church with you. And so my friend said, okay, great. Not many people just speak up like that. So she went and picked up her friend to take her to church with her, and her new friend said to her, Now, I want to be clear. I'm not interested in conversion, and I don't want to be approached with this sense of wanting to convert me. As I was talking with my friend about the uniqueness of Christianity and even in the scope of the Abrahamic faiths. I said, you know, it's interesting because not all faiths have conversion as a part of it. Not all religions have conversion. I mean, if you wanna be a Hindu, then just be one. Read the readings and do stuff that the rituals that are part of Hinduism or Buddhism. There's no conversion to Buddhism. You just do Buddhist things. You read the Buddhist teachings, you do Buddhist practices, and then you can claim to be a Buddhist. It's only in the Abrahamic faiths that there's this idea of conversion, of being made new. And it's because of the relationship with the living God. And that's in all three. You can convert to Judaism. You can convert to Islam. And people can convert to Christianity. This idea that there's a way of being in relationship with the living God. And as Christians, the unique thing is, we see Jesus is showing us how to do that. Jesus shows us the way. And so the disciples, as we heard in the book of Acts, as post-resurrection people, are trying to make sense of what that was that Jesus was saying all that time that he was on earth, and that they were with him, and they heard his teachings, and they thought it meant one thing, but now they're wondering if it meant a little something different. Think about the stories in there about bread and, un- and the leaven and bread. And I remember one story where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he talks to them about bread and leaven. And they think, is he talking about a loaf of bread? And you can almost see Jesus being like, oh my gosh, they don't get it. But I think in the post-resurrection days, they do. They look back and say, oh, maybe what Jesus was trying to talk about. Maybe that was a metaphor, those illustrations of seeds and of of yeast maybe that's what jesus was trying to tell us because you hear in the acts of the apostles the early followers of jesus recounting jesus's teachings and saying that's what you're seeing now the living god at work in the life of creation jesus shows us how to do that throughout lent we talk about following jesus and now as post-resurrection people, which is all that we are and ever have been, we are called to do the same. And as we revisit the stories of our faith, known to us in scripture and tradition, and even those that are shared by one another, we see the stories as our own. So much so that when I was having a spiritual crisis in college, it was John chapter nine that became my story. A story from so long ago became my very own. Nicholas Berdyev is um, a Russian philosopher, Christian philosopher. He lived at the turn of the 19th century, so late 1800s into the early 1900s. And he writes a little something that I want to share with you. He says, man as we know him is but to a small extent human. He is even inhuman. It is God who requires of man that he should be human. Man, on his part, makes very little demand for it. In exactly the same way, it is God who demands that man should be free and not man himself. Jesus shows us how to live fully human. Coming among us, he leads the way. He says, follow me. That's the only invitation, and in that invitation we learn what it means to live fully alive as humans. He shows us step by step. I find such truth in the philosopher's words and how easily we can be inhuman without the help of Jesus. How easily we can be shackled in this world without hearing God's claim for us to be free We can be shackled not only by possessions, but also by feelings of shame or fear, of anger, resentment. Our ego can shackle us. It is God's invitation known to us in Jesus that calls us to live the fullness of life. Jesus calls us to follow him. So I'm going to give you an invitation It might actually sound like instruction, because I guess actually it is instruction, (laughs) which will officially turn this into me preaching, right? I have an invitation for you this week, which is to make a point of recognizing your relationship with Jesus every day, just recognizing it. Think about how you do recognize a relationship. Look at the people around you in your daily life. How do you acknowledge their presence? What are some ways that you recognize that relationship on a daily basis? I want to encourage you to find a way to recognize your relationship with Jesus every day. Start with that. See what God invites you into. What fullness of life God is inviting you into just in that relationship. It's in that relationship that you will discover what it means to be fully who you are. And this personal Jesus, who cannot be possessed, which is one way that we kind of think of personal things, nor can be made private, which is another way that we think about personal things, this personal Jesus will change your life. So I invite you, in the course of this week, to start to recognize that relationship, just recognize it on a daily basis. Can I get an amen?